Hi, I'm Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, and you're listening to Single High, a Notre Dame football podcast from UHND.com, the official home of the Kyle Hamilton fan club. And Greg Hello, everyone, and welcome to Single High, a Notre Dame football podcast brought to you by UHND.com. I am your host, Greg Flamong, and with me tonight is the newly crowned World Series champion uh, of 18 Stripes, Atlanta native, Michael Bryan. Michael, how are you? Man, I'm I'm just running on good vibes right now. I I was there the last time an Atlanta team won, 1995 Game Six, 26 years ago. So uh, I was not there last night in Houston, but it was kind of fitting. They got the uh, they got the dub. They broke the curse in the same city where the the Falcons 28-3 Super Bowl was. So I feel like this All is a right. new era. And if an Atlanta team can do it, Notre Dame can do it. Why not? <laughs> there it is. That's that's the that's the uh, that's the energy I need. So I was. Um, it's funny. So me and Atlanta have, uh, especially the Braves, we have like a kind of like a youth thing. Cause when I played uh, little league baseball way back in the day, uh, we were the Braves. So um, this was like early nineties. So I had, I was a big Ron Gant guy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was yeah. a big Fred McGriff guy. He was, yeah. he was like my, my guy when there was a lot of Chipper Jones love, everybody had their pitcher, which I mean, you, you could do that too, but yeah, the crime dog was, was my guy. So quick story about the crime dog. So my brother-in-law had a three-year spell actually with the Astros. Um, This was 03, 04, and 05. And I think it was the 05 season when he, I think McGriff was a uh, a Dodger at this point. And they came to LA and uh, McGriff hit a a home run off of him through a threw him a curveball so he actually was pretty um he's like hey Fred McGriff got home run off me so um it was uh it was a good time but congratulations to you um it's been tortured I think for the last I don't know how long how long has it been 26 years for the break I mean then a lot of postseason appearances everyone thought after yeah. 90 95 that they'd go forever with Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz and Chipper right. but then they they won you know one one title out of the fifteen straight division titles I think or fourteen I can't remember but uh, that's a lot of playoff failures after nineteen ninety five and some right. pretty heartbreaking World Series before then although I was a little young for those right well congratulations to you um, getting to the uh, the uh, the topic at hand though so I wanted to bring you on today because um, during the game on uh, last Saturday. 
when the defense was having their struggles, um, you know, there was some chatter on Twitter about, you know, the defense and Marcus Freeman and Clark Lee would never and that sort of thing. And, and I kind of put out a tweet that was like, you know, people are a constantly kind of overrating what the defense was um, under Clark Lee. You know, it was good. And, but people like, and this is before even the, the Freeman era. Right. So I had these conversations like in, you know, January, February, March of, you know, of this year, just kind of like everyone had this thought that, oh, the defense is championship level and that sort of thing. And I was like, ah, not really, like, actually not. And, and, you know, if you look at some of the metrics, right, so like SP plus and FEI, um, the offense was actually rated higher than the defense was. Um, it's just, you know, the offense needs to be probably top 10 and it wasn't, but it was like the defense is basically top 20. Um, and then the other part of it was, I think that people needed to have like, just kind of a clear, clear view of what kind of talent we have on defense, especially when guys like Kyle Hamilton are not playing. So, um, and then you, uh, I think it was yesterday you tweeted out some numbers about that. So why don't you go into that a little bit and then we'll kind of get into the weeds on what all that means. Yeah, I definitely shared even before the season kind of that that same belief. I, I think last year's defense, I think there's there's just been this, and I think you get a lot of a of a boost looking back at Clark Lee and even the first year of Mike Elko because everybody's everybody's bar got lowered so much in the Van Gorder era that it just felt like this you know breath of fresh air. And I think people were holding their breath after Elko left that Clark Lee was going to be able to continue it since he was so unproven. Had only been in South Bend for a year. Um, and his first year was so good. I feel like that's the other thing is like his first impression was awesome because he inherited a bomb, like just an incredibly talented and experienced defense. I think they were number one in Bill Connolly's returning production. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of talent at every level. So I feel like that, that impression kind of lasted. But, you know, last year's defense, I think, did get a lot of credit that maybe was a little bit more. I think there was like a narrative that the defense carried things um, and that the offense kind of got tugged along. And, and some of that's probably stereotypes too, just because, you know, they, they were super efficient, but the explosive plays were kind of the constant themes. Like mm-hmm. why can't they get, why can't you like make more long runs or why can't you, they get the ball downfield more with Ian book, pushing it to these kind of veteran big receivers who couldn't break big plays. So what I did and what I was tweeting about that after the game, because I saw a lot of the same things you did was just looking at, I started pulling the numbers of this year versus last year's defense. And it's almost like looking into a mirror, like the yards per play are identical. The efficiency that they're giving up their success rate is both like 39%, a little bit above better than average, but not, not great. The explosive play rate they're giving up uh, again, like 10%, 10.2%. And the havoc rate has gone down a little bit, uh, but kind of in the same ballpark, right? Like pretty much near a national average. And for the people who are big, like points are all that matter. Their points per drive is also like 1.7. It's like 1.73 mm-hmm. and 1.79. So again, on everything across the board, it's setting out to about the same place. So I think that there's just like kind of a knee jerk, like retrospective of the Clarkley era, like you mentioned that people have, they remember the high points and, and not a lot of the top times when they didn't like the bend, but don't break when they bled yards and mm-hmm. gave up early drives. And uh, I think that just the early Freeman era, 
he had like a hundred percent approval rating out of the gate because we landed that hot number one guy. We beat out LSU for him and he instantly had an impact on the recruiting trail. And so I think there was sort of an inevitable backlash. It's like when Steph Curry got really good for the first time, you knew like every hit a hundred percent approval rate, but you knew the backlash is coming. Like the expectations would get high. And then all of a sudden the second he failed, you know, somebody was going to have something to say about how, a sh- you know, a guy that size or a guy who's just a shooter could never do it. There's, there's a little bit of that inevitable backlash that I think we're in the middle of right now is there's kind of some growing pains. And as you mentioned, the talent level, I think maybe it was a little bit overrated going in and they've had injuries on top of that. Yeah. I think the injuries play a big part. Um, especially when you look at like the linebacker situation where, you know, you, you, it was the, you know, like at will, right. It was meant to be Marist and he obviously got hurt. Um, and not just Marist, but it was meant to be Shane Simon as well. So there was, you know, there was going to be a heavy rotation there. And, and it's like one of those things where like JD Bertrand, like you look at his first three games and he's playing, basically out of his mind. I mean, he's putting up like Tavon Coney 2017 type numbers and that's really fallen off over time. And I think that, you know, he was never meant to be a 60, 70 snap guy. He, he, he needed to be, you know, like if you look at the way it was going to go, like, you know, you got Maris maybe, you know, per game, right. He's going to Maris is going to take up 45 snaps and, and Bertrand's going to take up maybe 35. Maybe Maris moves over to Mike or Bertrand moves over to Mike. And then Drew White gets a spell. I mean, it was meant to be, you have a fresh player at linebacker pretty much every series. And, and now that's obviously not the case, right? So you have Bertrand and White who are basically going the whole way. Uh, they're getting spelled by Bill Bauer a little bit. Um, and he's probably kind of at the limit of what his snaps are supposed to be. So, you know, I, when I watched the game, especially like the last couple games with like USC and, um, you know, North Carolina and even Virginia Tech, like you could just tell like those those linebackers are, are starting to kind of degrade a little bit in just their level of play. And it's not really anything against them as players. It's just when you're out there for too long, teams are going to, A, they're going to figure out what you're good at and what you're not, and they can expose those things. And you're out there forever. And so you're, you're going to break down and you're going to break down on the margins. And it's just like little things. And it's no surprise that, you know, you play a team like North Carolina where they have a super slippery quarterback like Sam Howell and they put you in space and they give, they isolate you all the time. And, we're missing tackles. You know, that's, that's like, it's expected. Right. And USC, even the same thing. Like, it's just, it's just the nature of those kind of offenses. Um, what do you, I guess I got, I kind of have my own thoughts, but what do you attribute to, um, I guess, why do people, I guess, aside from the expectations, like what is it about Marcus Freeman's defense that you think people are like getting, extra critical about I, I suppose because I don't remember anything specific to scheme with Clark Lee other than just the generic like we're playing soft coverage basically yeah I, I think that a lot of people remember the start of the season and like mm-hmm. I think there's a knee-jerk reaction now like it's become in the Notre Dame bubble whenever they go three down they go to that dollar package like people have flashbacks to Florida State and Tallahassee and 
I think that's it's it's for good reason. That was a terrible way to make a game that was a solid win, like a very losable game. But since then, you know, it hasn't been used a lot and it hasn't really been any less effective than a lot of their base defenses. So that's one that I feel like people are harping on. I think the other one that people are just underestimating is that Marcus Freeman's clearly not running what he wants. And he's, what he's doing is very different than what he did at Cincinnati. I think early on, you know, they were trying to do more and really testing the waters to see if he could play a little bit more aggressively, play more man in the secondary, and they were getting gashed on on these big plays. You know, they were creating a lot of havoc. They were disruptive, and it was working on, like, you know, 85 90% of the plays, but the 10%, whatever it was, with 15% where it wasn't working, they were giving up these huge, long scoring drives against these offenses that, as we look back at, like, FSU and Toledo, they're not good. So... I think he's had to adjust and adapt. And I don't know that that um, transition he's gotten quite enough credit for. I think like initially when it worked against Purdue um, in a totally different style of offense, he got some credit of like, okay, he's figuring things out. He's, he's adapting to, you know, more of a passing opponent. He's got um, guys kind of playing off a little bit. He he Mm -hmm. shut down David Bell, although he didn't really get as much credit then until the Iowa game when people saw it really David Bell can do. But I think that's one of the the biggest things. I think that people assume, and I think the expectations should be high for a guy with his, his hype and his track record. But I think that people, maybe because Clark Lee was able to come in and there wasn't that transition because he was you know, a protege of Elko's and he really didn't fundamentally change much of the scheme there. I think they're underestimating sort of what that transition might look like to just a, a little bit of a different style of defense and mm-hmm. that he's really, you know, had to shift his approach over the course of the year because he's realized, you know, the way that he played at Cincy with these lockdown corners is just not going to, they can hold up in man and let him be really aggressive. It's not going to work out right now with just the, the talent level on hand in the secondary. And like what you mentioned with the, the linebackers, it I think applies to the corners and the safeties too. I mean, they're going really three deep at safety uh, to when Kyle is out and, and they're playing three corners. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Ramon Henderson is kind of like three, eight, three and a half, three and a quarter, but um, you know, they're having to rely a whole lot and put a lot on these guys that that are you know starting to show some signs of wear and tear and you know these aren't the highest blue chip guys either on the roster or the most experienced either mm-hmm. so I think it's a little bit of the expectations going in and then maybe underestimating the impact of having to do something that maybe they, he wasn't fully prepared at the beginning of the year to do and maybe isn't his first choice in terms of how he'd like to scheme things up. Yeah, I think so. You you kind of hit it with the, the the three down stuff. I feel like anytime there's a specific scheme that you're doing a lot, and we're in three down dollar quite a bit, and you know we you'd have to talk to you'd have to talk to Marcus Freeman about like why exactly are you rerunning this? Because it feels like we don't have the personnel for it. Um, I, I can see why the the idea of it works just generally like you put it like on a whiteboard or whatever it's like oh okay i understand but with the personnel we're using it just seems like it just seems like we're bleeding yards especially on the ground and and that was one thing that kind of never really happened with clark lee that i recall just like us giving up the run game like that um 
But then it's like, it's one of those things where it kind of doesn't matter. Like the, the result, the end output from the offense, like you said, it's, it's all very similar. It's just that anytime fans see something that it's like, when we do this, like we are not doing very well. So I think that causes frustration, right? When it can be identified. And the other part of it you mentioned, um, cause I, w- I was just looking up while you were talking, cause that made me think of something is the, the corners. And when you're at Cincinnati and so I was looking up the, uh, the stats for uh, Kobe Bryant and Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner and combined this year, they are, they're giving up, they've given up 28 catches on 75 attempts, which is not a lot, right? Like that's just, you know, I mean, that's under, you know, what, what is it? It's, 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 under, it's like what 45% completions. And, you know, they've given up a total of, let's see, 240. That is, wait, 240, three, 303 yards on 70, 75 attempts or 65 attempts. Sorry. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And, and, and it's like the yards per attempt there. It's like, what is it? Five. And that, and that's what, they are, and and you look at what um, Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey are, and they are, I think, I think it's 40, I'm going to try to remember off the top of my head. I want to say it's like 46 of 73, right? And obviously that's above 50%, like that's in the 60%. So when you have corners that can just basically are giving up 50% completions, less than 50% completions, and they've got a bunch of breakups and they've got picks. Like, obviously, it makes it so much easier to scheme for that. It makes it so much easier to call a defense and to have a strong defense when you're not giving up anything on the outside. Um, it frees up the safeties. It frees up the linebackers. Like, it just it just makes it so much easier to play. And Notre Dame doesn't have that this year. Um, you know, fortunately, you know, this week against Navy, they're not going to have that problem. Um, but coming up against, you know, Virginia, like, who knows what's going on with their quarterback. And that's kind of like, you know, that's going to be a big challenge. And then um, Georgia tech, right? Like they, Georgia tech is similar to, um, I guess, I guess Sam Howell, the way they play. I haven't, I haven't seen a bunch of Georgia tech, but they have that mobile quarterback. Um, and then Stanford's throwing the ball this year. Cause they, they can't run the ball at all. So, um, you know, it's going to keep coming up. And, you know, there's the question of Kyle Hamilton and whether he's going to be able to come back. If he's not, then I, I don't I don't see why things would markedly improve for the defense going forward. What, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be matchup dependent. Uh, I think you gave a, a good touch on those. I think like Georgia Tech reminds me a little bit of a more Virginia Tech in that. Like they've got these athletic, you know, Sims is an athletic quarterback. He's also a liability to turn it over. Mm-hmm. Um, their their skill position guys are probably in a, a wide receiver a little bit less dangerous than VT, which should help. But it gets back to like, what were you expecting exactly? Like I, I before the season did a little bit of like a power fear ranking of Notre Dame opponents. And I had UNC one. And that was clearly wrong for, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Mac Brown and the defense really not doing anything, being, being kind of toward the top of the list. But but really what it was was kind of just looking at the secondary and, and the matchups. And obviously they lost a lot of skill position talent. But, you know, the, 
there's really not a lot of answers. I think that that this team has defensively for a team that can um, spread you out with wide receivers that has a good mobile quarterback who both can run and throw accurately. Um, and, and who has, you know, guys like Josh Downs who demand a lot of attention. And like, it, it wasn't in that regard, it wasn't surprising to me, especially like the defense is performing when you look at the metrics, like you said, like a top 20 level, but you got to say like, okay, so what's the trickle down then when you were, when you don't have your most talented and probably most irreplaceable player, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a really small margin between like a top 20 defense and a top 40 defense. Right. And, you go up against what's like a borderline top 10 offense in Carolina. And like, yes, they're imperfect, but they played a hell of a game. Like Howell was brilliant. Um, You got to give them credit. I think, you know, Phil Longo's had duds, but you know, I thought he called a good game too. Got some uh, help from, you know, some penalties that weren't called, but that's going to happen. It's happened a lot this year. So I think that it's just going to come down to the matchups, like a, a team that is more of, of a run first um, team that, that doesn't have that passing attack or doesn't have the receivers to to challenge Notre Dame or it's not in their nature to go really like three and four wide as often. I think they're going to be fine. Like, I think that's their comfort zone right now with with the talent and kind of how it's distributed and, and you know, the strength being up front. But I do think um they've kind of just lived on the edge all season with, with, with a lot of these games and maybe if the offense is truly taking a, a bit of step forward and, and this is real and not just kind of a two game mirage, then maybe they're able to build on that as we get against worst offenses. But I do think like UVA, if Brennan Armstrong's healthy is a problem because they are going to spread them out and they mm-hmm. do have ta- a, 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 a lot of receivers, not like the one guy, like a Josh right. Downs or, or like a Drake London, but they've got, I think they've got like four guys with already 500 yards right. uh, receiving. So that, that becomes a problem because Notre Dame doesn't maybe have four good guys to cover them. So I think it's just going to be a matchup thing, um, you know, going the rest of the way. I think it gets a little bit easier from here on out, but um, the UVA stands out. Georgia Tech is sort of like, you know, if you catch them the wrong day, Sims is running, it, you know, they gave up those yards on on third down scrambling to VT and, you know, Stanford knocked off Oregon and, and, mm-hmm. you know, handled USC and put up points on USC, you know, back before they kind of had uh, gone, gone through all the, the, the downs that they've had this year. So I don't think there's any game that you look at as like a slam dunk, especially if Kyle's out where you're expecting the defense to just kind of shut things down like they did against like a Wisconsin or like they did against a Purdue. Yeah. And, and you, you bring up a good point. And that's why, like, knock on wood, I'm not super concerned about Navy because they don't play in a way that is has given Notre Dame problems. And especially so, like, with the linebackers. Like, this should be a good game for Drew White mm-hmm. and J.D. Bertrand because, because they're not going to play fast. That's the other part. It's like when you give – I think when you give those guys time to settle down, they run a play and settle – you know, and get – their bearings and get red and, you know, get, you know, catch their wind play after play. I think that's when they're going to be at their best. So I, I don't have a ton of concerns there. Um, that's, it's more of like, like second level tackling, right? Like Clarence Lewis and Houston Griffith, like they need to be a little bit more aggressive in this game. Um, but that's like you said, like, and it's just the way that you're talking about it. Like if we had known like preseason, like, for all intents and purposes, we did not have Kyle Hamilton against USC in, in North Carolina. And if we had known that, like, that's a big problem. And they found a way to go 2-0 and in those games. And, uh, you know, 
it's just like Brian Kelly. Like how, how do you, he's very good at not losing and he did it again. Um, you know, it's just kind of remarkable. Like those are two games where it's like, we really need to have Kyle Hamilton and they didn't. So, um, you know, you just look at it like that without any kind of metrics, like they found a way to win and, and they did. So, um, it made, that made me think of something that you had come out in your, um, in your post game, uh, your stats review today, talking about um, points per scoring chance or something, and that was it's kind of an offensive and defensive stat, but just kind of look at it through the defensive lens. Um, basically, Notre Dame has had 50 scoring chances this year, and the 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 opponents have had 47. And usually, it's a lot more skewed in Notre Dame's favor, right? So they're, they have a lot more scoring chances than the, the opponent does. And, you know, the reason that Notre Dame is seven and one with that is because they are getting so much more out of their scoring chances. So like looking at that through the defensive lens, like talk about that a little bit, like add some context to the 47 for one, like, is that a, is that a lot or is that not a lot? It feels like just without knowing, it feels like the opponents have had, in a, a higher percentage of scoring chances than like in just like a normal season. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I think, you know, what, it, what I kind of wrote about was I, I just had, it was one of those where you like have the hunch where like, I feel like we haven't really separated. And that's kind of the theme of this year, right? Like if you look at the box scores of all these games and like the advanced box scores, even, even a regular one, right? Like yards per play or total yards, like there's just like, so many games where, it's been close, right? And you expect a Notre Dame team, and a Notre Dame team that's won seven out of eight games to really have had a lot more separation. And, you know, they've they've found a way every time to kind of get it done. And this, that was one where few scoring chances, 47. You know, it's almost a, a dead heat. It is a, like a much higher, I think, percentage of opponent possessions that are, make, that are creating scoring chances. So, mm-hmm. like, that, essentially the scoring chances are just an extension of the red zone. Like it's a first down inside the opponent 40 where, you know, you're expected at that point to score points. A punt right there is a failure. Um, And and it has been the defense really like looking at it. That's led the way, like the offense has been up and down. They've been clutch in some games where they've really needed to be Uh, like against USC. They each team had six scoring chances, but Notre Dame was 2.5 points better per chance because they scored a bunch of touchdowns. Mm -hmm. USC had the pick in the red zone. Um, they had the, you know, end of, in the first half, the two minute drill that they couldn't even get off a field goal attempt. They missed a field goal. So it really has been the defense most like there's been a couple of times that the offense has been finding opportunities, but the defense is giving up a, a good amount of yards, a lot of a decent amount of scoring chances. Um, but early on in the season too, a lot of that was the offense, right? You, they weren't moving the ball. Right. Um, they were they were creating points still with a lot of big plays. You know, they at one point had more touchdowns coming from outside the red zone than inside the red zone, which is very a total flip on its head from last year where, you know, it was such a grinded out, like methodical drives with the run game. And so, you know, early on, uh, they were also getting put in a lot of bad situations, whether it was, mm-hmm. you know, Cohen taking sacks and, and, and yardage or turnovers. So I do think they're giving up a lot of scoring chances as a whole. Not all of those, I think, from, you know, looking over the entirety of the season are all on the defense. Uh, but in general, like especially the last couple of games, 
they've played a very different style of game coming out of the bye. And, and some yeah. of that's about who they played in offenses versus defenses. And, you know, it's it's been a, a direct switch from a bunch of defense first teams to those that are, are definitely offensively driven and, and, you know, mediocre or worse like Carolina on defense. But, um, you know, the, the defense just kind of clamping down a bit in the red zone, getting sacks and in, in that area and holding opponents to field goal attempts has really been an important part of them winning a lot of these close games. I mean, that's very much like a Clark Lee thing to do, right? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Like I was looking at that and I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about this. That's why I'm calling Michael to talk about it. But it seems like this is like quintessential don't bend, but don't break style of, and- of playing. And the funny thing is, like, there was a lot of comparisons after Carolina because it was like, oh, you know, remember Chapel Hill last year? Remember what Clark Lee did? And, like, kudos to Clark Lee. Like, no slight to him. I tip my cap. Like, I don't know how exactly Notre Dame did what they did in the second half with no Kyle Hamilton against, you know, a better Carolina offense last year in Chapel Hill. But he did. And I feel like that was where people were like, oh, Marcus Freeman, you know, they don't even have those running backs and wide receivers. And he's letting Sam Howell do this kind of by himself. But the other game that people have already forgotten is USC. And that was the, the, the stats. And I think you mentioned this too on your pod after that game, the stats were almost the same defensively as they were right. in 2019 with Kirk Lee. And the game plan was really similar too, in terms of like, they're going to get theirs through the air, but we're not going to give up the big play and we're going to make them try and run. They kind of dared them to run in both right. games. Um, knowing that an air raid team and Graham Harrell is not going to want to do that. And so that was a funny thing. Like it, it reminded me of it when you mentioned, like, I don't remember Clark Lee really like giving up those yards. Like that's one of the few games where he did that uh, because he did, you know, they had Amon Ross, St. Brown, and they had Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns. And they were just like, all right, like I'm going to dare you to run the ball often. And then, you know, they gave up more points in 2019 than they did this year. So yeah, it is very funny how like this this I think the stereotypes we have of coaches when they're hired kind of tend to follow them um, their their whole career. And, and I think about, I think Marcus Freeman would love for the defense to live up to the stereotype of how he right. wants to play, but it's it's not so far, and it's evolved a lot over the course of the year. And I think that uh, he he has he should get a lot of credit for uh, you know being adaptable to to what he's got on hand and and. Um, making making less talented teams for them for the most part you know over the course of the schedule uh put together these long drives because mm-hmm. defensive line is good enough that they're going to get a run stuff um they're going to draw a holding call hopefully and they're going to get a sack and and you know let that let them derail the drive eventually versus like look trying to make the big play every play but then being exposed to you know the one long run or the one long pass that can um just be easy points without them having to work as hard for it Right. Speaking of being adaptable, let's let's switch over to the uh, to the offensive side, because everything that we have seen over the last two weeks. If you had, you know, said this is what it's going to be in, I guess, post Wisconsin or post Cincinnati. Well, I know no one would have believed it because everyone said it couldn't happen. And now it's happening. So, um, you know, that was a, a, a major theme of your stats review today. So let's just um, kind of go over that. You know, the improvements we've seen from the offense in terms of efficiency, in terms of all that stuff. So let's just kind of bird's eye view of that and then we'll dig in deeper. 
Yeah, I mean, the the I, I was pretty vocal like early in the season. Like the evidence was clear at that point. They are not running the ball at all with with the offensive line and Jack Conan. And so mm-hmm. I think that what's happened out of the bye in terms of going to a lot more play action, a lot more RPOs, a lot more screens, uh, letting Jack Cohn get the ball out faster, um, along with, you know, the offensive line finding kind of itself in terms of like cohesion and the right personnel group with, with the left side now. Um, you know, they're doing that. And, you know, the opponents have, have something to do with that, too, because I, I think I was listening to the, the Rakes report today. They said it's actually like a, a perfect split between the first six right. weeks are the six best defenses Notre Dame will face this season, at least as they're currently ranked. And the last right. six are, are the worst. Um, but it's it's been just a total flip on its head um, from kind of that like reliance on the big play that they showed against FSU, against Purdue, where they, you know, ha- they were able to still get the points they needed, but they had so many drives that were three and outs. They had such a hard time moving the ball on a regular basis. They had such a hard time running the ball. They're constantly running for negative yards. Um, I mean, Kyron Williams' stats were like, he if you just looked at him uh, with like a blind resume, like you'd think he played for, for I don't know, like Illinois. Uh, right. And he just had no room to operate. So, I think that the the changes that they've made, um, you know, kind of capitalizing on Cohen's strengths, um, leveraging kind of what they've found in the running game and, and Tyler Buckner at times um, situationally to, to add another element. Um, you know, all of a sudden they've got this ability, like they've almost doubled their, their rate of long drives. Um, they're moving the ball efficiently. They're eating up kind of yardage in a way that they weren't at all before. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's just, uh, I don't know, it's a good reminder that, like, things, we always, like, assume things are static um, as soon as we see them for, like, three or four games. And, right. you know, guys guys get hurt, guys come back, get healthy, things start to click for young guys. Um, you can make schematic changes. They don't always work. And, and the offense has really just been just, like, a constantly moving target, even in who we expect to be the quarterback or who we think will be the best quarterback over the course of the season. So, you know, I think... I think Tommy Tommy deserves a lot of credit for kind of going back to the lab over the bye week, um, having a lot of hard decisions they've made, you know, about, you know, do you turn the keys over to Buckner? Do you turn the keys over to Pine? Um, do you play Pine? And, and uh, you know, the last two weeks at least, and hopefully through the close of, the, of this, you know, last third of the season, it's been really successful. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking, I, I think that everyone's um, – the light kind of came on for everybody post Virginia tech when cone came in at the end and in the two Mm -hmm. minute, just moved the team up and down the field. And it was one of those things where it's, it was like, I, and you know, we said on our pod and then it was on basically, you know, most of the podcasts, like I know the, the one foot down guy said it as well. Just like if it's going to be cone, then it has to look like that. It has to be quick passing. It has to be spread the field. You have to get it out. And my question was, is this sustainable over the course of an entire game? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we saw that it was. And the other question was, can they run the ball with Cone in there? Because that was the big problem, right? We're not getting anything out of Kyron. And, And that was my main, you know, kind of call for for Buckner because I felt like Buckner opened up you know the offense for Kyron in a way that Cone hadn't 
And then, you know, you and I went, you, we were at USC um, and we saw that game. And that was a, I mean, it was a huge game for Kyron, right? He had 138 yards rushing. Um, and not just that, but it it didn't come on any like one big run, right? Like he had one 30 yard run, but beyond that, like it was just, there were a lot of seven, eight yard, 10 yard runs, something like that. And it, it was like, okay, like this can actually work. And I do wonder if what would have happened if um, if Buckner hadn't turned his ankle on that interception. Like, were would they have gone to to Cone in that situation? Like, we don't really know. Um, so it, it's just kind of like a, like a sliding doors thing that you see um, just kind of throughout the season. Um, in your in your stats preview today, there was. There was a, uh, a, a a stat you saw. It was um, expected points per drive. I was wondering if you could go in on that because you explained it to me a little bit, but I'm kind of slow on the uptick on these things sometimes. <laughs> All good. No, I think it was uh, like available yards. Available uh, yards. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this is one uh, shout out fellow Domer, Brian from Mo. This is one of his stats. Um, yeah. That's, I don't think it's a part of FEI, but it's just like another view that he does looking at things like at a drive by drive basis. So basically what it looks at is like as an offense, you know, anytime that you start from wherever you get the ball, say it's the 25, like mm-hmm. how how much of the in this case, like 75 yards available are you gaining? Right. Like 75 yards is 100 percent getting a touchdown. If you played a perfect game and got a touchdown every drive, that's 100%. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's kind of intuitive just because, like, the average is around gaining 50% of those available yards. Um, and Notre Dame, through the first um, the first stretch of the season, through Virginia Tech, they were below 50% in every game. Uh, and then all of a sudden, post-buy, kind of since this, you know, overhaul and, like, kind of clear path of, like, cone, quick passing, more screens, more RPOs, situationally Buckner the last two weeks they they hit 75 percent basically of available yards they gained against USC which makes sense right like if you think back on those games they had you know eight or nine scoring chances in like 12 drives right same with same with UNC there was so few stops against UNC it was even better 79 percent of available yards gained which is like elite territory I think Ohio State right now is leading the country and they average 71 percent of available yards gained as an offense so it's just a, a total kind of turn on its head in, in the performance and, um, you know, how, how well they're moving the ball. And that's, that seemed like that's a more sustainable formula, right, than what they were doing. You know, they scored, obviously, against Florida State. They scored against Wisconsin with the defense. Um, mm-hmm. They scored against Virginia Tech. But, um, you know, they were kind of doing it while also just leaving a lot on the table. Um, right. So it's kind of a nice number to look at just to see, um, you know, are you kind of feast or famine in the way you generate points? Are you really routinely moving the ball in a way that, you know, is going to be beneficial to you because you're either scoring, you're creating a ton of scoring chances, or even if you don't, you're flipping the field, right. And backing up your opponent. Right. And even anecdotally, right. Without the data and the data is obviously like great to have because it shows like, like, oh, okay. What I'm seeing is actually true. Um, it's just, you know, what, Suddenly, when when whenever Jack Cohn is dropping back, you feel like he's when he's throwing it, you're going to find someone open. And, you know, the, I, I it kind of reminds me of that 05 season when every time Brady Quinn was dropping back and he was about to throw, it's like, oh, great. Someone's going to be open. 
and and that's how it's been you know it, there's a there's a genuine excitement for like when when they're about to run a play because you feel like it's going to work and it's going to be you know well conceived and and someone's going to make a play out there whether it's you know Kyron or Lorenzo Styles or you know Kevin Austin or one of the tight ends or something and so it's 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 nice to see there um and especially from the offensive line you know it's just that whole situation has kind of solidified itself um with Alt and Christophic and you know it, it's 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 very frustrating to me that I guess I don't like to harp on how long it took you know and and I and I do wonder I do question if this had happened earlier like how things would go against Cincinnati um just because I, I really I really don't like that they lost that game. It feels like one of those games where, you know, we really should not have lost. And I don't, I don't normally feel that way. Like when the losses to like, um, like the losses last year, it's like, like you understand, right? Like Clemson was really good and Alabama was really good. And the 2019 game, the Michigan game was ridiculous. I I don't even know what to feel about that, but like, yeah, like the, the, the loss to Georgia, right? Like, yeah, we lost to Georgia. Like they're better than us. Right. And they're kind of the same thing in 2018 too. It's like, you know, we lost to a team that was better and that's fine. And, but uh, the Cincinnati game is one where you think to yourself, we really didn't need to lose that game. And it didn't, that didn't need to happen. And, and, you know, when the players say things like, you know, we felt like we lost more than Cincinnati won, I think it's less in terms of how the game went and more so like we just didn't have things figured out at the time of game. And, you know, I, I have the sense, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll posit this to you as well. Like, if they played today, I, I don't know that, you know, Cincinnati would win, right? Like, like if they played if they played this weekend, like Kyle wouldn't be playing, right? And that would obviously be a big deal. But I don't think it would be 24 to 13. Um, so I guess how do, you, how do you feel about that, I suppose? Just, like, how different would it be against, like, say, Wisconsin or, say, Cincinnati, something like that, with the way the offense is playing right now? Yeah, I think I, they've got so much of a better shot. I mean, it is interesting because you it feels like this year, maybe more than others I can remember, you can like see the the like wheels turning on, on like the offensive brain trust, right? Like mm-hmm. you saw them against Florida State come out and spread it out and throw the ball. And so clearly, you know, you like got the impression like they really like the skill position talent on this right. team, right? Like you got these talented backs you can split out. You got Mayer who's borderline like uncoverable and you've got then these guys like you know they have a good combination of like speed and and size and the ability to separate between like austin and Lindsay and avery davis so and 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 knowing that they had like something i don't know that they were at that point like depending or you know really totally thinking about lorenzo styles but like they had inklings right and like colsey Mm -hmm. they got on the field early enough this year injuries have forced them to play more but they clearly had an inkling like these guys can help us you know early on uh and so i think that you could see the wheels turning of like okay we can like maybe hit deep balls you know with these guys and even if the running game kind of gets gummed up while we like totally overhaul things, you know, we think Cone maybe can do this, but you know, I, then you see Cone clearly can't, you know, he's not comfortable doing that. And it's not really what he did at Wisconsin or did effectively. And then you see him do even going back to like the two minute drill versus Toledo. I mean, that drive was like 
40 seconds, but he just mm-hmm. dropped back and delivered. And for whatever reason, like that, that environment, he's so much more comfortable in. It's so much more natural to him. You don't see like kind of the, the panic set in as he like, you know, tries to hang in there and um, figure out where to go or, and hang in too long a lot of the time. So, you know, I do think this Cincy game could be really different. I mean, that first drive against Cincy was looking really good, um, right. you know, all the way up until until the pick. You know, it was a lot of well-designed stuff. It was a lot. Of, it was a heavy throwing drive for the most part. In the long run, I think by Kyron to start it. But you know, I do think you know if they play again, I, I think that it's I think it's tight. Um, I, I don't you know, Desmond Ritter played really well. He hasn't really played that well since. Obviously. Um, again, you don't want to overestimate like our secondary against some pretty good wide receivers and, you know, the mobile quarterbacks have been a problem. Um, he didn't have to run as much against us and maybe, maybe if they're playing from behind, right. Or if it's a tighter game, maybe that's something that plays into the game script more than it did when they Mm -hmm. played this time. I think it is a tough one, but it's also one where like, I kind of, I'm kind of balanced out on that one because they have, if, if Notre Dame had like dominated the rest of the schedule, if it was kind of like the start of 2017 where they lost the close one that was really winnable against Georgia. And then they were mm-hmm. killing people, you know, all the way right. up until the Miami game. If it was something like that, I feel like I, I'd be kind of like looking back at that one a different way, but just knowing that like through whatever variety of reasons, FSU was losable. Toledo was losable. Uh, not so much. Purdue, but like Wisconsin, they were, you know, trailing late, you know, I think Notre Dame had three yards, three yards per play, a little over three yards per play in that game. Like yeah. obviously it broke open way, all, way, way, way open. But you know, that, that was a losable game um, until all of a sudden it became like a total blowout. Uh, and and that, that was a fun punctuation mark. Don't get me wrong, but I think there's just enough of those Virginia tech kind of in the same category. Um, the last two games like borderline, right? Like, I think the game script kind of helped it, but you know, if you play those games 10 times, if you played them again, I don't think Vegas is changing the line all that much on USC or or Mm -hmm. UNC based on what they saw. Right. Right. So I think that's what kind of counters it for me is like, um, maybe it was like the expectation going into this year too, where it doesn't feel like that loss totally killed our dreams. It was painful. And like, Mm -hmm. it was an unlikable process and week because um there were just these kind of clear deficiencies and it was really depressing after wisconsin to see them like not addressed um and just kind of the same thing happen and so um that part hurts for sure and, and definitely i'm sure that the, the staff and a lot of players have that what if like even on inside the garage i think they mentioned like <laughs> they kind of jokingly were talking about like who do you who do you hate in college football and they they all brought up like Cincinnati because they lost right. him lately but they're like ah oh, not not really but like that like they'd love another shot at those guys because they know that um, I think under some different circumstances and like now that they have figured some things out it's probably a different ball game right um. Real quick, I want to I want to get on this uh, the playoff thing, and then uh, I'll let you go. What What did you? I guess what was your takeaway of the uh, the the initial playoff rankings that came out? Right, so Cincinnati at six. I think that was the, one of the bigger talking points. Um, uh, obviously, Alabama at two was <laughs> a big a big one, right? Over teams that are undefeated. So, just what did you take away from that? Um, 
And then just, I don't know, I guess everyone kind of is talking about Notre Dame's quote unquote chances. Like, do they have a chance to make it? Um, I'd say it's probably just unlikely, but how did you, how did you take all that in? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's frustrating because it's just so inconsistent and like, Mm -hmm. I know that they have to do it for the TV and the money and they have to trot out somebody to like defend the rationale. But (laughs) at the end of the day, like I, 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 you know, they've all got their, their biases and, um, I just think that the rationale changes all the time. Like, you know, they put Oregon up there and clearly like this week, the head to head was a big deal. And like, who's your best win got talked about, but like for Oregon, that's a huge deal. Cause you beat Ohio state, but for Cincinnati, it's like, well, they beat Notre Dame, but who else did they beat? And then you look at other teams and it's like, well, you know, okay, who else does Oregon beat? Like, and, and who else do they even have left, you know, to, to make progress. And, I don't know how much they truly like, I think a lot of people hypothesize that they look ahead and they kind of have in their head, like let's rank them this way. So that if, you know, this team has like these games left, they can move up or like we can slide this team down because they don't have big games left. But I just, it it just feels like, I I don't understand Alabama being that high. Um, It's not like other years where they've had like the, the loss that's a little bit inexplicable to an old Miss or whoever, you know, AM this year. And then they dominate their other games. Like right. they were tight against Tennessee. They blew their big lead against Florida. Who's not good. Like it, it just feels hard to uh, square up. I think just some of the, the rationale. And it seems like they kind of like fluctuate between like, who do we think is really the best and who has the best resume and how do we treat losses versus your best win versus your other wins. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I probably wasn't looking at it as closely from like a Notre Dame point of view of like what, what routes are there that exist. Cause I've kind of written that off probably. It's on like you have it a little bit too. Um, but it just, it just feels like I'm, I'm almost glad that we're not in a place of um, having these games left in the schedule or like this being set up to be that season where that's just like, you know, been the clear goal from the outset or the expectation or the outset where we have to like sweat the logic and fight for why like Wisconsin is a better win than maybe people realize or right. whatever it is that sort of like the politicking that, that everybody's got to get into that's close in that race. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, the, there's, it's, it's easy because it doesn't feel like a playoff team, right? It's just like, they haven't been, you know, that, great on either, like either side of the ball and it's like I love the offense now but obviously there's like <laughs> there's six other games that we have to to kind of compare it to um this is what I would say although about like Notre Dame's chances and I and I feel like everyone who's talking about it is kind of like well this is what has to happen and this has to happen and this that and the other and to me it's like look what has to happen is the committee has to think that you're a playoff team that's what has to happen, right? Like they don't, they can decide what is important and what isn't, right? And I think that what they've kind of shown is if you look like a playoff team, then they'll make a case for you. And so I would say like Notre Dame's job, I guess, to put it that way, is you got to, they got to look like a playoff team. They got, they, I mean, you, you got to start, like you said, like they got, it's got to be like an 
you know, yards available type deal. And you got to start holding teams to like, you know, 10 points or seven points or whatever it is. Like that's how it has to go. And I'm personally not going to get all upset if it doesn't look like that. Right. It does. Because that's not how it works. You know, you can't just like flip a switch and be like, okay, like we're 2014 Ohio state, you know, that's not how it goes. So it's not that I don't think that there's a chance. It's just that I don't, it, it's, so many things have to happen kind of in order. It's not even worth like kind of debating about. Um, I thought it was funny that Cincinnati was six just because I don't care. Like, like they were, they, <laughs> they, they were like, like they were not nice to us after we lost. And so one of the, one of the downfalls of that is I'm not going to care about you when, when, when the committee uh, gives you the finger, you know, like I just like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but a lot of te- things don't make sense. So no problem. Right. And I agree with you about Bama. Like what, what have they done so far this year that makes it seem like they are, you know, despite the loss to a, what, like Texas A&M's backup. Like, what, since when is that? Okay. Like, I, I, like I, I'll say this Notre Dame could not play exactly the same as Bama with that loss and be ranked two. It's just like nope. not possible. So like, so that's, that's one where it's just, come on, like you're, you're giving way too much, you know, deference to Saban in that situation. Um, but the rest of it, like, we'll, we'll see, you know, it's no, no big deal. Um, I it just, just want- feels like a bummer in some senses that like, this was, if Notre Dame was going to be not really a, tr- a true player in the playoff consideration and like kudos to them for with everything sort of like winning the games to get themselves on the fringes of it. Right. Like whatever you look at, <laughs> what, you know, what, whatever anyone thinks about it, like I, I don't think it's happening, but when you look at the, whether it's, you know, computer projections or Vegas odds, like they're where they are for a reason. And it's because, you know, they've, they've won the games and they're, going to be favored from here on out and so you know they, they kind of have like a leading edge versus some other teams getting to the prerequisite number of wins and losses but you know like the the bummer to me is like if we if we were going to be not on the outside looking in you'd rather have this kind of chaos here right like get some fresh blood in there like there's been you know we've seen the same programs and like you know Clemson's finally going to miss it so that's great I guess but I'm glad not to see Dabo in there, but mm. you know, it just feels like after this like start where we were like, Oh man, parody and maybe George is emerging. And that's kind of a funnish storyline just cause they haven't won it yet. And then all the pressure will be on them to see if they can pull it off. But mm. after all of that, it kind of feels like we're going down a path of like the same programs of Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, Bama. And that would just be kind of a bummer because it felt like there was, the door is starting to crack open for something new. Right. And like, that's what the Bama thing is. It's like, come on, like they get a mulligan, really? Like no one else gets a mulligan. You know, that that's not, no one else gets that benefit. So, you know, you don't have to do that, right? Like just make, and I don't care if, you know, the rest of it, no, like no other team would get that benefit. So that's what I don't really appreciate. Um, as far as Notre Dame, you know, I, I remember when, um, when Marist went down and I think I was messaging with you and Chris about this. And it was just like, you know, how big a deal is it? 
And my thing was, is like, it's just the start of, you know, these things happen and you lose guys. And it's just the, the it starts, I, I don't want to say the clock ticking, but it's just at some point the injuries become unsustainable. And, and so Maris was just kind of a, the, the, the start of it, right? At some point, these things start piling up to where it's like you, you just can't overcome it. And we are way beyond the point that I thought, you know, would be that sustainable. Like they lost that, you know, they were a struggling offense going to Virginia Tech and Michael Mayer didn't play. And they found a way to not only win, but come back from down eight and find a way to win that game. You know, like we mentioned before, like you don't have Kyle against the two most dynamic passing teams you play. Um, and maybe not against Virginia either. And, you know, <laughs> Jamie Uyama said, please don't let anything happen to Blake Fisher. And then in the first half of the first game, he's basically lost for the season. And then we lose his backup. And then we lose that backup. Like, it just kept happening. And and then with Shane Simon and with uh, Paul Mawala, I mean, uh, you know, Kirk Heinisch, right? Kurt Heinisch doesn't play against Wisconsin. Of all teams, he doesn't play against Wisconsin. And and they just kind of, they they find a way to win that game. So it's just, you know, the, this, the, the team's ability to win games when, you know, they really had no right to do so and just kind of, you know, patch it together. You know, they're, they're favored, heavily, probably heavily favored to go 11 and one at this point. And it feels like a missed opportunity because, you know, the, 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 the Cincinnati team, it just feels like the most beatable good team that they've played in years. But at the same time, like given what the team has gone through, it just, it seems like a good outcome. So, you know, for me, I'm not just, I'm just, I can't get super upset about, you know, the, the current situation. And if they continue to win, if they go 11 and one, I don't think they'll finish, um, you know, 10th, they'll probably be somewhere into like the seven range, something like that. So. And, and whatever the, I'm not the bowl expert with like all the ties and how the selection process works after you go through like the, the top four of the playoff, but like, I'm sure there'll be people, Notre Dame fans that get upset about like, Oh man, like at some point, like I'm sure we'll get, get screwed and be behind like a Michigan who doesn't deserve it or right. whoever that is. And like, at this point, you know, you're, you're not going to be in the top four. If you went out, you should be in that. You'll, you will be in that place of going to a cool bowl game. And at that point, it's like, I'm good with whatever gets Notre Dame to like the best matchup that gets them to a place where they can get that new year's, you know, ish, whatever new year's day bowl, um, big time, you know, former BCS bowl, playoff bowl, whatever it is off, you know, get that win, get that monkey off their back. And, you know, I, I think ideally it's like kind of a combination of like a name and a beatable team, like Mm -hmm. give me an Auburn for sure. Like, you know, an an SEC program, a name, you know, versus like a Wake Forest. Right. Like, but honestly, give me a win because, you know, after Cincinnati, I kind of wrote about like this, this is, not cool and not fun um and it stings but like a lot is still on the table and um the 2023 recruiting class um looks 
really nice. It looked got a little bit nicer tonight with Drake Bowen committing. Right. And you just at some point, like after that, and looking at it especially, you know, when this easily could be a team that's more like a five and two, four and three, whatever, heading to this point. Um, being able to then still like feel really good about their ability to make that bowl game to keep, you know, the momentum going in recruiting um, to like, you know, feel like this is still on an upward trajectory to get the double digit win streak up to what it will be five years now in a row of, of double digit wins. So that those kind of things matter still, um, especially when you're trying to beat out Ohio states for recruits or Clemson's or whoever it be. So I don't know. It just feels like at this point, like the playoff things we can get all in a huff about, but uh, it's really like handle their business, secure that berth so that like, there's no questioning of like, you know, are they going to get the good bowls or not? And then get that win, like whatever that (laughs) that opponent is, like get, get that win, um, carry it in the next season because the big boys are coming back on the schedule and, um, you know, things are gonna, things have broken kind of in, in a nice way to let things work out this way, despite all of the injuries, despite everything you talked about. We all looked at the stretch of Wisconsin and um, Cincy and, and USC and UNC and Virginia Tech before the season, and people painted it like it was this murderer's row. And, you know, maybe Cincinnati's, you know, the one that's moved the right direction, um, the rest, not so much. So, you know, you never know how exactly a schedule is going to pan out, but it is one of those where, like, you have to take advantage of these opportunities. And I think that that's been kind of just what Brian Kelly's done in this last kind of, like, revamp of his career, right? Like, 2018 was kind of a deal like that. The team was better yeah. for sure. But they also, you know, they have, they, they've had this period of, like, you know, Stanford is kind of very far post Harbaugh years and, and David mm-hmm. Shaw living on that momentum usc is down like these are the years that like they've had time to make hay and and they're doing it and and kudos to him for getting the wins in these close games to like keep all of that going and to to start knocking on the door and kind of like slowly but steadily make that progress that's right sounds good to me uh everybody he is at michael brian mb on twitter he writes for 18stripes.com you have to read the stat review it comes out every advanced stats review it comes out like on wednesdays usually wednesdays Thursdays, <laughs> something like that it depends somewhere between tuesday and wednesday usually <laughs> you got it look you got to read it it's 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 like the best like advanced stats plus context because sometimes like i get the stats and i'm just like oh, okay cool like stats those are fun i don't know what this means um and so you do a really good job of like giving us this, the numbers and then putting those into context so um please you know you got to follow him on twitter i don't know how much michael really wants the followers to be honest with you i think he's <laughs> <laughs> i think michael's happy with his uh, little corner on the internet but i i refuse to allow that he he needs more of a uh, a following so follow him on the twitter machine or well, once again um he writes for 18stripes.com uh michael man thanks for coming on this was really fun Thanks. I appreciate my man. All right, everybody go Irish beat Navy. Uh, let's see if we can, uh, I guess move to eight and one and then, uh, hopefully fingers crossed. Maybe we'll get Kyle back. So we'll see. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Yeah.